0: Welcome to Peterson's Bow Hunting Radio, brought to you by the Sportsman Channel. All hunting, all fishing, all the time. Contact your local network provider and ask about the Sportsman Channel today. Now, here's your host of Peterson's Bow Hunting Radio, Christian Berg.
1: All right, we are back and better than ever with another episode of Peterson's Bow Hunting Radio, the voice of bow hunting, and I am. Certainly appreciative of you taking the time out to uh, spend some time with us today and as always uh, super enthusiastic about the episode that we have lined up for you. Today we're going to be talking to one of the people that I refer to as uh, the unsung heroes of archery and uh, what I mean by that is you, you go uh, as you work in this industry and you get around to tournaments and different events and the the ATA show, uh, which I just attended recently in Columbus. There's so many people in archery that uh, make this sport as great as it is with their ideas and their innovations and their intelligence and their know-how and just sort of an endless desire to tinker and do things better. And um, unfortunately, most of these folks, including our guest today, uh, probably will never become household names, yet we owe them a debt of gratitude. And without saying more than that, I will bring in our guest, a gentleman by the name of Doug Denton. He's a product engineer at Hoyt Archery, and uh, he is doing some really amazing stuff in the world of recurve bows. And uh, it's a pleasure to have you with us today, Doug.
0: Well, thank you for having me uh this opportunity to to tell a little bit about the recurve bows that uh, Hoyt's producing now.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, to be honest with you, uh, traditional archery, and I hesitate to even use that term because I'm pretty sure when we start talking about these recurves you're making, uh, we're talking about some pretty high-tech cutting-edge stuff, but of course, you know, it kind of gets that catch-all term of traditional archery, and that's not really the bread and butter of what we typically deal with at the magazine but the thing that's exciting about what you're doing is that I know as we talk about this you know there's technology and materials advancements and things that you're doing uh, on the competitive archery front that are really gonna trickle down and probably signal some big changes in the future for for hunting recurves and maybe even the compound market down the road so why don't we just start real quickly tell us a little bit about your background because i know you are a a really serious competitive shooter yourself and how you manage to also get involved with the the bow design end of things doug
0: okay well you know has a lot of uh, a lot of kids i guess growing up you they see their parents uh getting ready to for the archery season and bow hunting and that's really where I got my start into archery in general. I was around nine years old and got my first uh, compound bow, and I was thought I was really big time, and I was going to go bow hunting and kill a big white-tailed deer, and I hunted for years before I even got close to an animal. But with that start of my archery career and, and bow hunting in general, it just really sparked a passion to uh, for, the, for archery. And as I got a little older and got into uh, high school and started to develop a um, uh, passion for, for actually competitive archery, I started out shooting uh, the IBO tournaments. And ironically enough, flipping through a, a bow hunting magazine one day, this was back in 1992 actually, I uh, came across an article uh, that was entitled, uh, uh, Pass Gold Medalist, and it was an article about J-Bars, and J-Bars won the 1988 Olympic gold medal. And that was intriguing to me because at that point, I didn't even realize the Olympics had archery. Mm. And the Olympic archery, it's, it's an Olympic recurve, and I really got enthused with uh, with what that was really all about and started reading all the articles that I could possibly get my hands on, and and eventually uh, saved up enough of my uh, my money to go purchase one of these Hoyt uh, Olympic recurves.
1: And and how old were you at this time, Doug?
0: I was actually uh, 18 years old. So I was transitioning out of uh, high school and going into college, and really had no idea what I wanted to do with my career. Or as most most kids coming out of high school going into college are really kind of unsure, but what the focus that when I, when I made a commitment to say that I'm going to go get an Olympic recurve and I'm going to see how good I can get and see if I can make the Olympics someday, that truly changed my life to give me a focus that I didn't have prior to that. Because I felt that if I was bold enough to say that I want to train for the Olympics, then everything else in life is pretty simple and I can work hard to get To those uh, goals. And that really transcended to my college career of, well, if I'm going to say I'm going to go to the Olympics, I can make an A in that class. And it really was, I say, just fate that I stumbled across an engineering degree, and it fit me perfect. And I took that engineering degree never knowing that I would ever have an opportunity to uh, work for Hoyt or design, design recurve bows. And graduated uh, college. Where did you, you go to school, Doug? went to Murray State University, which is a, a smaller university located in western Kentucky. And that was a, really a good fit for me because I grew up in Kentucky, small-town uh like to consider myself a little bit of a country boy and yeah I can, most tell, of my... I
1: can tell from your accent i know you're in salt lake with hoyt now but i was figuring this guy didn't grow up in utah i don't know no
0: my my roots are uh really deep in uh, western kentucky and, and enjoy the uh the life that i had there and enjoy the outdoors so that's uh you know so got so- through college and started my career and after 10 years of my career and uh, all along competing in Olympic recurve events throughout the U.S., and with that made a lot of great friends in the sport, the best friends that I have and probably will ever have in my life have come through, through competition and meeting people while shooting tournaments and friendships that are going to last a lifetime that really have helped really formed the person that I am today. So and really with the competition, met some people that worked for Hoyt and it just worked out that they were looking for some engineers here a couple of years ago and, and I threw my a resume and Here we are.
1: And so, what? A couple things then before we dive into your work with Hoyt, I'm curious about is, you know, a, what kind of uh, business were you plying your engineering trade in before you came to Hoyt? And uh, also, let the readers know, or the readers, yeah, the listeners. We love our (laughs) readers and our listeners. Let let the folks know, uh, kind of some things that you've accomplished in the world of competitive archery, because, you know, I know you don't want to toot your own horn, but you've, uh, you know, you've come very close to achieving a lot of your goals I, I think if I recall from our conversation at ATA
0: yeah well I started my, uh, my engineering career with a company uh, that is basically 99% automotive and it was die casting so I worked as an engineer for them and developed machinery that helped produce their parts I didn't focus on product design there I focused on manufacturing designs and also focused a lot on architectural designs for them because at that point they were expanding to be worldwide and got to travel the world and set up uh, factories for for this company and it it really gave me a solid foundation on on engineering, on dealing with uh, dealing with individuals and being able to uh, apply that to my role where I'm at today and when it comes to my competitive archery career I've been ranked as high as 12th in the US in uh, the Olympic recurve Uh, participated in uh, Olympic trials events and the actually my very first Olympic trials was in 1996 and at that point the trials process was really an open process and I was really a, a newcomer to the Olympic recurve uh, archery but nevertheless got to participate in those events uh, participated in the uh, 2000 and 2004 and actually in the 2008 Olympic trials and it's been a great experience uh, never have have been able to be on the Olympic team but it's you know, it's still a it's still a dream out there and and I work hard at uh, shooting the Olympic recurve to stay in tune with with the competition and and being in tune with that competition has allowed me to have some insight to the products that we have today
1: yeah which actually leads us right into your work with Hoyt because as we get into discussing the uh, you know the the work that you're doing with improving uh, recurve design it it also goes you know hand in glove with that competitive arena that you've been involved with because you're actually working directly with some of the people who are on our Olympic team and, and you know, sort of the top shooters in the world and and basically, uh, you know, bringing them quite possibly, you know, some competitive advantages that may be the difference between, you know, being on the podium or not, you know, come, uh, come the next game. So with that, why don't you kind of tell us uh, – maybe where we were when you got started with Hoyt and, and where we're going with recurve design and and uh, the things that you're doing that are making, you know, tangible uh, differences for, for accuracy for the shooters.
0: Okay. Well, when I started with Hoyt, this is, uh, I've been with Hoyt for two years now. My first product that I designed, and it was a focus on the Olympic recurve market, was a bow that we named the Gold Medalist Extreme. And, I remember sitting down with Randy Walk, who's the president of Hoyt, and he said, uh, what's your thoughts on what an Olympic recurve should be? And being an engineer, I guess I'm pretty opinionated on on what I thought was right. And I started to lay all those aspects out. Uh, And the biggest part of it was the actual geometry of the bow. And when I'm talking about geometry of a bow, it's where your hand placement is in relationship to where the limbs will actually start their pivoting or bending motion. Mm-hmm. That is the critical part of the geometry. But I even took it a step further, which at this point, recurves hadn't been designed in, in such uh, a focus on the engineering aspect of it. I took it to the point that, well, I truly believe we had to have the geometry right, but we also have to have the bow flex in a certain manner. All bows flex. When put under load. Compound bows do it. Recurve bows do it. And it and no matter if you can control where that flex is, I truly believe will help the bow be a more forgiving bow and a more accurate bow. So I laid all those out to Randy Walk and and he said, well, that sounds great. Go make it. And that was exciting to me because I was... You know, starting here at Hoyt, I love the Olympic recurve, and now I get to go design my very own and see what I can come up with. And, you know, started on uh, sketches and worked out some issues there, started and then built a a, a 3D model of it, ran some uh, uh, engineering analysis to show me what the bow was actually doing and how it was flexing. Mm -hmm. And through several different iterations, uh, the gold medalist extreme was born and with that first product it was on the podium more times last year than any bow any bow's debut in the modern history of uh, archery so the bow won tremendous amount of tournaments it broke world records that have been set and been held for many years it, it comes up and breaks world records and right there that kind of proves Hopefully to, uh, to the consumers and to myself that my theories and thoughts were, were pretty close to being right. If, it, if it's helping people win more tournaments and break world records, that's super exciting to me. So,
1: so and, what is it about the, the new bow that's you know so different than what was the standard before? Is it the materials? Is it the design? Is it a combination of the two? Uh, tell me about that.
0: Well, it's a great question. After I finished the gold medalist extreme, Randy Walk sat down with me again and said, you know, this bow's great. You know, it's broke these world records, but, you know, you need to design a better bow than that. And really the, the basics of what an Olympic recurve has been for the past 30 years has never been really changed.
1: Okay. And so give a basic overview for people, including myself, who aren't really familiar with that, you know, end of archery. You know, what's a typical Olympic bow?
0: Well, the typical uh, Olympic bow is a riser that's around 25 inches long. And it's the limbs, the fitting of how the limbs attach to the bow, because mm-hmm. it is a takedown recurve bow.
1: And you're talking about an aluminum riser for the most part?
0: I am. The the risers. Of course, started out as wood, and then they uh, went to magnesium, and now they're machined aluminum. And with what was really the the standard, the geometries were basically the same. No one really focused on how the bow flexed, and then the way the limbs fit into the bow have it was it's an international limb fitting system. And I wish we had some pictures that I could really show and illustrate what I mean by this, because this is where it really comes for the new bow that Hoyt has for uh, 2010 is really where we broke the mold. We have an international limb fitting system that the world has known for the past 25 30 years that Earl Hoyt himself designed and patented uh, years ago and the rest of the world followed. And this basically is a limb system that has a dovetail system that snaps into a, a recurve bow and it has the, the butt end of the limb is a very solid piece that does no movement or flexing. Gotcha. So so that but, part of the bow has been the same for 25, 30 years. So, and, and, Randy, what's
1: the, and what's the typical, uh, sorry to interrupt, but I want to no. kind of complete the, the initial picture. You've got a 25-inch riser, typically, and then mm-hmm. your limbs are how long, and then that gives you a finished bow length of, of what, typically on these bows?
0: With the with typical bow, we, we have what most uh, most athletes are shooting is what we call a 68-inch recurve bow. So we have, at Hoyt, we have a 25-inch riser that have, we could put a short limb or a medium limb or a long limb. A short limb and a 25-inch riser will give us a 66-inch bow. A medium limb will give us a 68-inch bow. And a long limb will give us a 70-inch bow. And according to the consumer's draw length, the shooter's draw length, that dictates whether they want to have a short, medium, or long limb. Gotcha. And that that standard has been around for since the seventies really.
1: Gotcha. So so then you've then taken this basically your new bows are staying within those same parameters or overall length, but what you're doing is really making some major advancements in the way that those limbs are attaching to the riser and the way that it flexes there. Is that what I'm getting?
0: That is exactly right. With the new bow we have, which is called the Formula RX, we actually increased the length of the, I'm going to call it the butt end of the limb. Mm-hmm. We increased it by around two inches. And it also, at that point, we actually let it taper a little bit as well. So now we have a longer pivoting arm. And I want to use a a compound bow that I think will help illustrate what we're really kind of doing with this system. Mm-hmm. And it's a center pivot compound. You know, a center pivot compound now has a support in the center of the limb. Yeah, you're talking and about it,
1: basically what you'd see on some of the Botecs, is what you're talking about. That, that's exactly okay, right. Like a Botec Admiral, no, no, no. if you're familiar with, you know, for listeners, if they're familiar with that model.
0: That's exactly right. And what that system actually does is it helps reduce loading forces that go into the bow. So when I stretched out the butt end of this limb, it did a couple couple great things for an Olympic recurve shooter. Uh, it helped make the bow faster, which is speed is always important, even on the Olympic recurve side. And it also made the bow pull very smooth. And for our listeners, if if they've ever hunted with a recurve, uh, the the terminology of this bow stacks at a certain draw length, mm-hmm. which means as you pull it back further, it gets heavier and heavier and heavier to a point that it's, it's very difficult to shoot. Mm-hmm. Well, when we stretched out the butt end of this limb, it makes the draw force curve very linear, very smooth, which will help the shooters shoot better scores because they're able to pull through heavier bow weight and it's smoother for them and plus we're we're gaining stability and speed I want to kind of roll into what this really does for the for the riser itself for the handle of the uh, of this recurve mm-hmm. when I stretched out that pocket the forces that are being applied to the riser was reduced by 40% now let me explain what that really does for us it reduces vibration and when you reduce vibration you gain stability, and when you gain stability on any platform, you gain accuracy. And accuracy is huge, whether you're trying to shoot at a, at a target that's at 90 meters or 99 yards away, or if you're shooting at, at an animal that, you know, the biggest white-tailed buck you've ever seen that's at 20 yards away. Right. Stability equals accuracy and period.
1: and i would imagine with with that kind of a, a decrease in force on the riser 40% you're also looking at you know less less torque on the riser too you know we've all seen the slow motion videos of what bows do at the shot you know and you know, it's amazing to see, you know, those pieces of machined aluminum that are actually, you know, twisting as the bow is loading up and then the vibration, like you said, after the shot. So, I mean, there's a lot of benefits that are pretty obvious, I would think, if you can reduce that kind of stress on the, on the, on the machine.
0: That is exactly right. And and that's why the, the way the formula bow flexes was increased incredibly over even the product that I designed last year. The formula bow flexes in a manner that is it's gonna be very optimum for even a beginner shooter to shoot better scores. And it's because of how the bow is flexing and, and the forces that's going into the bow. One of the interesting things, and I think I think some of our listeners might be interested in this, is when I did this bow and I set it up for the first time and I shot it, there were some some of our other engineers and some of our, our techs were, were around watching and looking. It was so quiet that it was, it was amazing. We were, we were all amazed at just how quiet the bow sounded. And the reason the bow is quiet, when you reduce forces and vibration and loading into, a, into a, a bow or to a system, you reduce noise. And that can be very, very exciting and beneficial for the future.
1: Yeah, and you could, I guess it's, you know, the, the the length of the bow isn't necessarily going to be as long in a, in a hunting recurve, but certainly you could take uh, this new, you know, pivoting limb pocket uh, design, or I don't know if that's the right term, but you could incorporate the same new technology onto some of the hunting recurve models, right?
0: You know, yes, Hoyt definitely can do that. I, I like to refer to it as, we're looking at... at uh, our Olympic recurve side of, of being the, the race car version of our of our recurves, okay. and we can take that technology that produces excellent results and outstanding results on the Olympic level and competitive level, and transcend that to our bow hunters that are going after their trophy of the of a you know trophy whitetail buck, and that same technology can be applied to a hunting recurve you know for Hoyt there, there's a there's a there's a lot more that goes in, in into it it's just not we can't just go flip a switch and presto we have a, a new latest greatest uh, uh, hunting bow but there are definitely aspects that will lend itself very very well to a hunting recurve Mm-hmm.
1: and uh so we kind of got sidetracked there I guess a little bit on that Going discussing the hunting applications. Uh, we should probably go back now and, and talk more about uh, the new bow. So you, you, you tested this, uh, you saw the, the reduction in force on the riser, the, re, the reduction in noise and vibration. Um, what more things you know did, did we not cover yet on this new bow and, and uh, you know the things that you're seeing in the performance of this as opposed to you know the first generation I guess with that the gold medal bow?
0: Well, the shooters, the feedback from the shooters and our top athletes are really what's what's exciting to hear and seeing their the results on the uh, tournament scene. the The bow, there's specific uh, aspects that an Olympic recurve needs to do. It needs to, when you on, upon the shot, it needs to have the forces going straight towards the target. So the bow literally will jump out of your hand. Right, watcher, right towards the target. This bow does that extremely well. Uh, we picked up, like I said, some some additional speed, which is very, very beneficial in our Olympic recurves.
1: What, what, and what's the, you know, give me the raw numbers on that. I I really couldn't tell you what a a typical Olympic recurve is going to shoot in feet per second. And so, give me an example of, you know, what your average would be, and then what this bow is is putting out.
0: Okay, it's it's going to be. I think our our listeners are going to be a little bit shocked with with what I have with what I consider to be big in our market. So typically, an Olympic recurve shooter, and it all depends on their draw length and weights sure. of of what they're shooting, because we really have no ATA standard of speed when it comes to a recurve. So when I with the the performance gains that we are seeing are anywhere from two feet to four feet per second on on the recurves now let me quantify what that really means that really means if we have that's like having a compound bow shoot 360 feet per second to a recurve shooter okay. so uh, that that's what because two to four feet per second to probably most of our listeners are like well that's that's really nothing i can get that with you know uh changing my veins on my my arrows or changing to a lighter arrow with an olympic recurve with for accuracy, you know, we we are kind of locked into certain arrows and and certain veins that really work good for us. That the two to four feet per second is huge, especially when we're shooting the distances that we do shoot.
1: And, and what's sort of an average uh, arrow velocity for a competitive shooter, in Olympic uh, discipline?
0: You know, this is this is another another area that's going to sound really slow compared to our compound bows. But typically, it's around 200 to 210 feet per second.
1: Okay. So basically, yeah, I mean, if you're talking about, okay, say 200 feet per second, if you're talking about picking up 2 to 4 feet per second, you know, you're looking at, uh, you know, a two, 1 to 2 percent, you know, increase in speed, basically.
0: That, that is correct, yes. And, you really what that means for us is it's, it's a huge benefit when we're shooting outdoors because of the wind and the elements that we shoot in.
1: Mhm. Gotcha. So, so, um, so you're getting, obviously, kind of just all around uh, a more pleasant uh, shooting experience, if you will. That's that's kind of equaling you know, better performance.
0: That's exactly right. And we also went a little more step, another step further in when we designed our, I'm going to call it the engine of our bow, which is our recurve limbs. Uh, there was a lot of uh, innovation that went into the uh, new recurve limbs that we have uh, for this product. We actually partnered with a couple different companies that are helping make some uh, special laminates that go into these uh, limbs. We have a laminate that's called a cross carbon weave, and what that really, what that those laminates are doing is torsionally making these limbs very stable. And what I mean by that is if you was to grab the limb tip of one of these recurve bows and try to twist it, Mm -hmm. it's very resistant to that twist. And what that means for for a shooter is as a shooter with finger shooter, the string actually comes around the fingers and it makes the, the string, I'm going to say, oscillate and therefore is trying to twist those limbs on some direction has it's going has those limbs are going forward gotcha. well these these limbs with this cross carbon laminate weave mm-hmm. it really helps resist that which makes the bow even more stable and helps it be more accurate
1: so what all uh you know are your limbs made out of i know you know in the compound market it seems every year Um, you know, the manufacturers are touting uh, more and more, you know, the various things. I know there was one particular model that I had read some press materials on recently talking about, you know, actually seven different layers of materials that are inside their limbs and kind of going on a little bit about each, each one of those. Is there, these recurve limbs have, you know, as many different layers, as many different materials that are going into them, or is it more of a you know, just a fiberglass with the carbon or, you know, tell me about that.
0: Okay. Well, we have two different grades of limbs uh, for that we typically are, are focusing and selling here at Hoyt. And our high-end limbs are made with a syntactic foam, which is, that will be the core material. And then we will use carbon laminates, and we will also use some glass laminates. And to, together, when you create a limb when i call i call it a a layup of the limb you can dictate how these pieces will taper towards the tip of the limb and how thick they are and where they're located inside the limb to really gain some huge performance gains but the materials that we we are focusing in on are syntactic foam carbon obviously fiberglass and we also are using utilizing a lot of woods and we use some hard rock maple. And we also have partnered with a, uh, another company that's making some special maple laminate woods for us that has been infused with epoxy, which gives the uh, that particular wood in, in our limb a, a really great uh, feel. It gives us great consistency when you're in different elements where it would where be cold or extremely humid. These limbs will not be... Be affected by that those temperature changes or humidity levels mm-hmm. so we really try to focus and really are, are being innovative with the materials that we are able to use with our recurve limbs
1: yes th- totally I mean anybody who you know sees one of these uh, Olympic guys running around with the recurve and think you know okay that's just a it's a, it ain't your old stick and string anymore. That's for darn sure, and uh, it's pretty clear. You know, you guys are every bit as high tech on on the uh, competitive side of things as as you know the compound guys are running around out there hunting in the field. So uh, it's really, really interesting. And uh, man, I'll tell you what, I I'm certainly learning a lot talking to you today, Doug, and I'm sure the listeners are too. I mean, this has been. Pretty intense so far with a lot of uh, a lot of good technical data, and uh, I'm sure the hardcore guys are just eating this up, man. So, looking ahead here, okay? You've got this this new bow, and and obviously you're getting some pretty amazing results out there. Uh, you you just came back from a tournament in France. I know you said it's one of the largest archery tournaments in the world. Tell me a little bit about what the new bow did there and then look ahead, I guess it's to 2012, right? The next Summer Olympics and, and what you're kind of hoping for accomplishing uh, at, at at
0: those games. Okay. Well, the, the tournament that uh, I was just at, it was in Nimes, France and it's, it is the largest indoor tournament in Europe. And we had around 2,000 competitors and it was really the debut for for the new Formula RX Hoyt recurve bow. On the men's side, a gentleman named Brady Ellison, who is uh, our top U.S. Olympic recurve shooter that we have, I mean, such a great guy, he actually posted the highest ranking round score uh, of anyone at the tournament. And this indoor tournament is held i think a lot of our listeners are are very familiar with the vegas tournament it's held at at uh, 20 yards or 18 meters for us and we shoot basically a, a vegas style target and so brady was able to shoot with the formula uh, rx the highest ranking rounds highest ranking round score he actually ended up uh, finishing fourth in the tournament because the tournament is held on once you, once you rank yourself, then you go head to head competition and you start having uh, uh, shoot offs.
1: Gotcha. So you basically rank for, you do those ranking rounds for seeding and then you do a, a bracket type tournament from there, essentially? That is, exa-
0: that is exactly right. Gotcha. And on the women's side, uh, we had a, a woman from France. Her name is Berger Choux. She made it all the way with her formula to the gold medal round. And at this tournament, talk about a show. They had they had dancers come out in between the matches. They had the lights, they had the cameras. It was it was really exciting to watch. And the people and she, do
1: people actually pay to come watch this this deal?
0: They do. There there was I would I'm gonna guess at how many people were in the stands because it had to be two thousand plus people just sitting there watching this whole event. And it was so exciting that you know, you, you have these athletes come out, and they're at the spotlights on them. You know, you have announcers, you know, talking about the individual, talking about their history of their competitive uh, competitive archery, and then they get up on the line. Yeah,
1: no, no pressure there, right, Diane? Oh, absolutely, no pressure, absolutely no not.
0: You know, this is another day in the park. <laughs> and uh, and then she proceeded to shoot a perfect score with her bow, and. Which, which
1: again, you know, for the people who aren't familiar with with the target archery world, what what's a, how many arrows do you shoot in a round, and and what's a perfect score?
0: Okay, it, we shot in, in in these elimination rounds. So in this gold medal match, you shoot twelve arrows. In a perfect score is one twenty. Now, to really add this up a little bit better, there was no other shooter, compound or recurve, that shot a perfect score in the medal rounds. She shot hundred and twenty points perfect score with a recurved bow with her fingers and shooting uh actually carbon aluminum arrows she was shooting x10 eastern arrows which are very small in diameter and had them all inside out tens it was i I think i was more nervous watching her shoot that because i was so excited that you know that's
1: like your baby out there in her hand right
0: uh, well, yeah, I guess to me it really is, and and when she stepped off the line with a perfect one twenty score and won the gold medal, she held the bow up, and it was, oh, uh, it, it was like, you know, just a sense of joy that that I was able to maybe on, on the slightest, smallest part be be a part of her winning that medal, and, and that's that's extremely exciting for me.
1: Well, man, I, I think you're due for a raise this year, aren't you, Doug?
0: Well, we need to send that uh, send that message to Hoyt, I think. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, so that's awesome, and um, obviously, uh, the shooters that are using the bow, they must be super excited about you know what's happening there on the line. And uh, do you foresee uh, this uh, as the end? You know, is this is this the end all and be all, or are you like already thinking, Gosh, I've got two more years before the next Olympics. We can do even more
0: absolutely because i am never satisfied with where i'm at there is something that's you can always think of something better and yet we we have to always push the limits of what our equipment can do and and that's how we get that's how we make improvements that's how we have breakthroughs you never stop you never stop engineering you never stop thinking and for me personally i never stop talking to the individual that's out there purchasing the product, or our top athletes, because those people can give me great feedback, and I want that feedback to to really take our product to the next level. Because you you can't stop. If when you stop, then your competition is going to pass you by, and you're going to be left behind. So, no, there there are going to be some more, you know, exciting and new things to come for sure.
1: Now, maybe this isn't a perfect analogy, but you know, I think back to the last Summer Olympics when Michael Phelps was winning all those gold medals and I think leading up to those games, there was a little bit of controversy in the swimming world about these, these, you know, new swimsuits basically that some guys were wearing that, you know, they're those super tight fitting jobbies that you know, reduce your drag and create, I guess, some added buoyancy or whatever. but. You remember what, I, what I'm i talking about. I mean, you may not have. Been... Absolutely. Yes, okay, so I, I, I
0: follow the Olympics on, on all sports very so, closely.
1: So, you know, and I didn't pay, you know, a ton of attention to it, but it was out there enough that I was certainly aware of that. Now, would that be, you know, any parallels here? Is this new bow that you guys have come out with? Is this kind of like now the people who are using it? uh... are you know are winning all this stuff setting new world records and the people who aren't are like now wait a second here is this you know this is like the new secret weapon uh... is this available to everybody and are there any you know competitive type uh... concerns or anything that's been raised along these lines with new technology and that sort of thing
0: you know one yes, the the product is available to everyone even though we are working on some uh... there are some patent pending uh... features with this new bow uh, Technology breakthroughs. This is probably the closest thing that a recurve bow has seen to comparing it to the the swimsuits that Michael Phelps wore on on a competitive side. Yeah, it, it's it will help people shoot better, and there's some aspects of and reasons that we've already discussed because you know, with the design of the bow that will help these individuals shoot better. And, yeah, it, it's giving people an edge. And when you give someone an edge and then they get more confidence, those people are hard to stop. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> well said. Well said. So, so, listen, now let's take another jump onto the hunting side of things because, you know, this is really exciting. It's been very interesting learning about, you know, all this new re- recurve technology. But maybe there's some people who – listened to all this and thought, you know, that's great, Um, you know, hopefully the USA will sweep the medal stand at the next Olympics and we'll have all the world records and uh, it's awesome, but what does this mean to me? You know, I'm just a guy that, uh, like you said, I want to shoot a big whitetail at 20 yards every year and uh, or maybe I want to, you know, take a a, a trip out west, uh, chase some mule deer or elk or what have you. What are the implications, either now or in the future, for the hunting bow market? And does any of this even translate into compounds?
0: You know, for well, I'll address the compound question real quick. Probably not for the compound. Uh, There's some aspects. I mean, compounds are really just a completely different. uh, I'm going to call different animal and a different way we go about engineering those. Mm -hmm. And there there are some concepts that can link over on a broader scale, but. On a, uh, on a real specific scale it's two different completely they're apples and oranges but on the uh, on the hunting side sure there I'm always looking for ways to improve hunting recur products and yeah there are some exciting technology that we they, they can cross-link over and looking into the future you know who, who knows there there are some Definite advantages that could could lend itself very very well to a hunting recurve.
1: And and you uh, you do quite a bit of hunting with recurve bow, don't you?
0: I do. I wish I could say I'm talented at that, but I'm not. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, we'd all like to be more successful, right? But uh, but yeah, I mean, do you actually go out? And I realize that you know some of these Olympic style bows are maybe a bit unwieldy in a tree stand or on a stalk or whatever, but uh, do you actually uh, just kind of mess around with taking some of these things in the field sometimes?
0: You know, I did. This year I had a great opportunity to uh, to go to Kansas and hunt some whitetail, and uh, what a great experience that was. I've uh, been hunting whitetail deer all my life in, in Kentucky, and and to go out to Kansas with the reputation that Kansas has with big whitetails was just Oh, it was it was super experience for me, and yeah, I actually did take a uh, a formula recurve and uh, had the had the riser painted black and camoed it up and said, all right, I'm going to take this sucker and kill me a big white tail, and uh, I took it out in the stand several times and in the stands that I was hunting in, and, and because the bow is you know it, it really is a long bow for. For hunting, it just didn't lend itself real well for the for the types of stands that I was actually hunting in, mm-hmm. but uh and never had any good opportunities for at the times that I had it in the stand to uh to even get a shot but ended up uh taking my uh thirty one and taking uh the biggest white tail I've ever killed in my life. It was a hundred and forty six inch white tail, and I was super pumped to uh to be able to harvest that animal. But, uh, yeah, absolutely,
1: yeah, it, man! Congratulations to you. Well, thank you. And uh, so, so that was. Uh, would you have been able to take that deer? You think uh, if you had that recurve in your hands, or was it just too tight of a shot?
0: I'll tell you what, it it would have been, for sure. I would have. I, I would have. I, I call make the attempt. Uh, and it it would have been a long shot for the recurve. It was a forty-two yard shot, and really my comfort zone. Uh, was shooting a traditional hunting recurve you know I really like having them 30 yards and in so it it would have been pushing it and there were some other elements there was uh, some high winds that day that would have made it even more of a difficult shot but you know I tell you what we always have next year and and I will uh, be hunting with the you know hunting recurve next year and Hopefully have opportunities at uh, some white-tailed deer and some hopefully some turkeys and whatever else I can get on.
1: Well, well we certainly wish you the best of luck, man. I mean, uh, there's, nobody, there's nobody I can think of that deserves it more with the amount of time that you have dedicated uh, in your life to not just uh, your own shooting but to making other people better with the, the technology that you're bringing to the market. That is great. And uh, if people want to learn more about the new Hoyt Recurves, uh, do you still have that gold medal bow on the market, or is it just the new FX bow? Are
0: no, no. no. Yeah, they're, they're actually both available, and if uh, if anyone wants to learn more about it, you can go to uh, Hoyt.com, go to the Recurve section, and there's it takes you to a whole different uh, web page. and You have tons of information that you can read up about the Olympic recurves, about the competition, about what Hoyt is really doing internationally in the uh, competitive field. So, yeah, there's a lot of information out there.
1: Well, that is great. And, uh, Doug, I just really appreciate you taking so much time out of your schedule to share this information with the listeners today. Uh, Like I said, you know, this whole... Uh, competitive and recurve side of things isn't necessarily you know the bread and butter of what we do at peterson's bow hunting but it's still a big part of the archery world and you know one thing about this game whether you're a hunter or a competitive shooter whatever discipline you know you, you just never can hurt yourself by continuing to learn about what's out there and be up to date on the latest and the greatest. And, you know, it's just what makes it so neat is that there's endless opportunities out here. And I certainly enjoyed being exposed to some of this stuff. And and I'm sure the listeners did as well. So thanks again, man.
0: Well, I appreciate having the opportunity and uh, and really enjoyed the conversation. So so thank you very much.
1: All right. Well, keep up the good work and, and we'll stay tuned for the next big announcement out of uh, Doug
0: Denton and Hoyt okay oh sounds great all right bye-bye now bye-bye thanks for listening to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio with editor Christian Byrne for more information on this and other topics pick up a copy of Peterson's Bowhunting Magazine on newsstands now